Yes, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Just Saying Podcast. This is your host, Jared Dawkins, here. I hope all of you out there in the world are taking good care of yourselves and being safe during this pandemic. And I hope all of you out there are making good, smart, careful decisions. But with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, Game 6 of the NBA Finals is taking place tonight between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. The, the Golden State Warriors have a chance to, for the third time in eight years, win an NBA championship on an opposing team's home floor. They did it in 2015 when they knocked off LeBron and the Cavaliers in the 2015 Finals. They did it again in 2018 when they knocked off LeBron and the Cavs in the NBA Finals. And now for the third time, uh, for possibly the third time, they have a chance to win an NBA title on an opposing team's home floor. But I want to recap a little bit. I want to go back to games four to games four and game game games four and five, excuse me. And I want to talk about how the others in this series continue to show and prove that this series is not just going to come down to Steph, Clay, and Draymond. But with that being said, I want to recap game four. As we all know, in the uh, as we all know, the Golden State Warriors won game four, but in the first half of Game 4, Steph Curry dropped 19 points. Andrew Wiggins dropped 11. Jordan Poole dropped 10. Jason Tatum dropped 16. Jalen Brown dropped 12. Derek White dropped 10. Robert Williams, who's had a really, really big impact in this series, dropped 5. Uh, he dropped 5 points, 10 rebounds, 2 blocks. But Boston turned the ball over 10 times in the first half of Game 4. And they shot 7-12 from the free throw line. But the game at the end of the first half was pretty much even. And Boston was only up by five at that point. They were up 54 to 49. But then fast forward to the second half. Golden State, what do they normally do in the third quarter? That's when they go on their surge. Golden State outscored Boston 30 to 24 in the third quarter of, of game four. Uh, of game four, And then in the final five minutes and 15 seconds of this game, Golden State outscored Boston 17-3 to in the final five minutes and 15 seconds of this game. And to end the game, Steph Curry had 43 points, 10 rebounds. Klay Thompson had 18 points. Andrew Wiggins had 17. Draymond Green played so poorly in game four of this game that he was benched. He was benched for most of the fourth quarter, but it worked. And Golden State ended up winning that game. But also, Golden State made some history when they won Game Four. Golden State has won a road has won a road playoff game in 27 straight playoff series. That was an NBA record, and I honestly don't think that record will that record will ever be broken. Boston, on the other hand, turned the ball over 15 times in Game Four, and Golden State had 15 steals. When you turn the ball over, turn the ball over as much as Golden, excuse me, as much as Boston has in this series, you're not going to win those games. You're just not. It's just that simple. Game five, the first half of Game five, Golden State dominated Game five. They dominated the first quarter of Game five to the point where the Warriors were up twenty-four to eight in the first quarter of this game. I mean, it just it just looked like. It literally looked like Golden State was just, was just going to absolutely wipe the floor with Boston. Boston played so poorly in the first half, they shot all of 12 from three-point range. 
I'm going to say that again. They shot 0 of 12 from three-point range. But then, start of the second half, what happened? And I said this before. This series has been has been a a run of third quarters and fourth quarters. And whichever team plays plays really, really well in the third quarter, they more than likely finish it off in the fourth quarter. And pretty much that's that's the way the game goes. Boston flipped it, flipped the switch, and they pulled the Golden State. Boston started off the third quarter in game five on a 10-0 run. And after struggling from the three-point line going all of 12, they hit eight straight three-pointers after going all of 12. And at one point, they took a 58-55 to lead. So when it looked like, when it looked like Golden State was just going to absolutely blow Boston's doors off, Boston did what they normally do. They fought back, they fought back, they fought back, they fought back. And they eventually took the lead. And at the end of the third quarter, Boston outscored Golden State 35-24. to But with all of that being said, this is where everything that I just said about Boston goes out the window because at the end of the third quarter, and this guy has done this before, Jordan Poole hits a half-court heave bank shot off the backboard and it goes in. And Golden State, despite the fact Boston dominated that third quarter, Golden State is still up by 175 to 74 at the end of the third quarter. And and Golden and Golden State did to Boston what Boston's done to them in the fourth quarter in a couple of games in this series. Golden State dominated the fourth quarter 29 to 20. And the Warriors ended up winning the game 104 to 94. And with the Warriors, Clay Thompson had 21 points. Steph Curry struggled like it was nobody's business. One of the worst playoff games I've ever seen him have. He had 16 points, went 7, went seven of 22, had 16 points, went 0 of 9 from three-point range. But, again, the others. Andrew Wiggins had 26 points, 13 rebounds. Gary Payton, the second, 15 points. Jordan Poole coming off the bench, giving the, giving the Warriors 14 points. And with the Celtics. Jason Tatum, we all know he was going to show up, 27 points. Jalen Brown had 18 points. Marcus Smart had 20. And Robert Williams, who continues to have a major impact on this series on the defensive end, had 10 points. But Boston, Boston with these damn turnovers, man, like, come on, bro. Like, really? Boston had 18 turnovers in Game 5. 18. In every game that Boston has had in this series, they have had 10-plus turnovers. Every game, all five games, they've had 10-plus turnovers. In two of the five games, Boston has had, has had 18 turnovers in two of the five games that they've played in. You will not win a championship turning the basketball over at the alarming rate that the Boston Celtics turn the ball over. So, and I mentioned this before the series started, I mentioned that that with Boston... It's going to come down to, in the fourth quarter, when they have a double-digit lead, can they hold their water, or are things going to get tight for them, or are they going to start to struggle, and are they going to have those one or two games where they have a double-digit lead and they blow it, and those two games, where they, or those one or two games where they had a double-digit lead, 
those uh, could those be the two games that cost them the series? Well, they had one of those games in Game Four, but then also the other thing that you really have to think about is Boston with these turnovers. If Boston continues to play like this, Golden State's going to close them out tonight. If Boston continues to turn the ball over like they've been turning the ball over this entire series, Golden State's going to close them out. You cannot turn the basketball over like Boston has, no matter how talented you are. You cannot turn the basketball over like Boston has in this series and expect to win the championship. And here's the thing. Golden State isn't squeaky clean either. Golden State is reckless with the basketball as well. But Golden State has the ability to make up for those turnovers because they're that damn good and they're that damn experienced. Boston has no room at all to 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 say, okay, we can we can go on a ten to two or a twelve to two or a thirteen to two run, even though we've turned the ball over three to four times. They don't have that luxury. Golden State has that luxury way more than Boston does. But at the end of the day, Bottom line, tonight, if I had to pick a winner, I would say Golden State wins this and they close Boston out and they win their fourth NBA championship in eight years. But it would not surprise me if Boston wins tonight and they and they send this to a game seven. But if I had to choose and and I, and, and I did this I did this before the series. I, I picked Golden State in six. I'm going to stick with it. Golden State wins tonight. They close out the Boston Celtics. And the Golden State Warriors win their fourth NBA championship in eight years. But it would not surprise me if Boston wins tonight and we see a game seven. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, um, really quickly, I want to talk about the Miami Dolphins and Sean Payton. And I want to talk about how The Miami Dolphins, there was a report out talking about how the Miami Dolphins were literally going to offer Sean Payton a five-year, $100 million contract. Okay, this is according to Bleacher Report. Okay, it says Dolphin, it says, okay, here's what it says. Sean Payton was offered four years, $100 million, $100 million to become the Miami Dolphins' next head coach. Okay, this is what the, um, uh, this is what Albert Breer of NFL Monday Morning Quarterback said. Quote, according to Albert Breer of the Monday Morning Quarterback, Miami offered Payton a four-year deal worth $100 million. Last week, David Hyde of the Sun Sentinel reported the Dolphins had offered $100 million for five years, okay? Had Miami signed Peyton to a massive deal, it would have been only the second known $100 million contract for a head coach in NFL history. As we all know, the first $100 million contract came from the Raiders when they hired John Gruden to be their head coach. But that contract was for 10 years. This contract with Sean Payton that Miami tried to offer him would have only been for five. And reportedly, this deal that Miami was going to offer Sean Payton was going to be for $25 million per year. John Gruden's deal was only $10 million a year. Sean Payton's was going to be $25 million a year. And this is what Sean Payton said as far as as far as him 
knowing about the deal and him possibly being teamed up with Tom Brady. This is what Sean Payton said. He said, quote, I have no clue about the Tampa Bay, Miami Dolphin, Tom Brady rumor. My understanding is that there was a request put in or inter or intermediaries talked. I'm like the rest of you. I heard that story. So he he heard about rumors about Miami wanting to pair him and Tom Brady up together down in Miami. But then this is also what Sean Payton said about possibly leaving New Orleans for the Miami Dolphins. This is what he said. Quote, if I had if I had if I had been ready to coach like like this year, I would have stayed in New Orleans. It's nice to have someone interested and that's and that's about and that's about it. I look, our focus on Tom Brady has been beating him, not joining him. So in other words so in other words, Sean Payton is saying that while he appreciates Miami offering him the contract that they were gonna offer him, he didn't want to team up with Tom Brady. He wanted to beat him. And I don't blame him. Why would you want to team up with somebody that you want to beat? But at the but at the end of the day, as we all know, Miami ultimately ended up hiring Mike McDaniel to be their next head coach because they weren't able to get Sean Payton. And on top of that, the whole Brian Flores situation, uh, I don't I don't know if it would have been a good idea for Miami to go through with that. But Sean Payton, Tom Brady, Miami, Tom Brady going back to the AFC East to face Bill Belichick two times a year for the next couple of years. It would it would have it would have been very, very interesting to see that. But Sean Payton had already made up his mind and made up his decision that if he was going to come back to coach a team, it was going to be the New Orleans Saints. And I'm not mad at him for that one bit, but that would have been a big-ass coup had the Miami Dolphins been able to pull off getting Sean Payton. And that would have that would have been very, very interesting. And and, and it, also, it also would have made a lot of sense, and it would have definitely sent the Miami Dolphins in a damn good direction moving forward. But coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you guys why the Indianapolis Colts need to make a move for a big-time wide receiver before the season starts, and also my top five NFL questions for the 2022 NFL season. That's coming up. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. I want to talk about the Indianapolis Colts. And to me, the Indian, the Indianapolis Colts, as we all know, they traded Carson Wentz away to the Washington Commanders, and they traded for quarterback Matt Ryan, and they traded away a third-round pick to the Falcons for Matt Ryan. And they traded for Matt Ryan because of the simple fact of they wanted some discipline and they wanted some stability at the quarterback position. And Indianapolis felt like they weren't getting that with Carson Wentz at the quarterback position, even though Carson Wentz is obviously way more talented than Matt Ryan. But you guys get my point. With the Indianapolis Colts, we all know that Indianapolis has been a very, very good team over the last few years. They've been a playoff team, AFC South champions over the last few years a couple times, but they're just that. They're a playoff team, but they're but they're maybe borderline Super Bowl contender. 
They're a really, really good playoff team, but they're not quite in Super Bowl contention. They got a damn good defense with Darius Leonard and DeForest Buckner running things. They got one of the best offensive lines in the league. They have one of the best running backs and rushing attacks in the league with Jonathan Taylor and either Naheem Hines or Marlon Mack, whichever one they decide to keep, because uh, they're going to keep one of them, and they're probably going to end up trading the other. So they got a good defense. They got one of the best offensive lines in the league. They got a damn good running game. They're just missing something. They're missing that something. They're missing one thing. And I, And if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, the one thing that they're missing, or the other the other thing that they're missing, I should say, they're missing another playmaking wide receiver. If I'm so if I'm the Indianapolis Colts, what I would do, I would call up the Seattle Seahawks and see what they want for DK Metcalf. And when I say that, DK Metcalf, we all know how talented DK Metcalf is. DK Metcalf is super talented. Six three, six four. Maybe 6'5", 225, 230, whatever the case may be. Looks look looks like a solid looks like a solid rock. Like dude is ridiculous. Dude is ridiculous. Like the way this dude is built is just unbelievable. Very, very talented. And when I look at DK Metcalf, he kind of reminds me of Julio Jones a little bit. Both really both really big. Both can really, really can really, really run, obviously. But the difference with DK and the differences with Julio are DK doesn't have the injury history that Julio Jones has. DK doesn't have the, the game-breaking, playmaking ability that Julio has. But if you pair DK Metcalf up with a quarterback like Matt Ryan with Michael Pittman Jr., with tight ends Mo Alley Cox and Jack Doyle, with the running game that Indianapolis has in Jonathan Taylor. Now DK's numbers will, will start to go up, and you'll really start to see how good DK Metcalf really is. Again, you pair DK Metcalf with Michael Pittman Jr., with Zach Pascal, with Paris Campbell, with that running game in Indianapolis, now you'll really start to see how good DK Metcalf really is. Because honestly, let's be real right now. DK Metcalf is not he he's not going to accomplish being one of the better receivers in the league or 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 even being half of that. He's not going to accomplish that in Seattle. He's just not. He's just not with with Drew Locke or Geno Smith. He's just not. And not only that, DK Metcalf, uh there was a report out that DK Metcalf is not showing up to mandatory minicamp and he's not showing up to mandatory minicamp why because of his contract situation so you have that playing a factor in DK Metcalf's future so the fact that that DK Metcalf's contract situation is kind of up in the air right now this would be this would legitimately be a golden opportunity for the Indianapolis Colts to swoop in and say you know what? We need another. We need another playmaking wide receiver. We got Michael Pittman Jr. We got Zach Pascal. We got our tight ends. We got our running game. We need another big piece to help out on this offense. And what better piece to get outside of outside of maybe a Michael Thomas or whatever the case may be, or no, no Beckham Jr. 
or maybe even a veteran in Emmanuel Sanders, what better way to go as far as as far as the young route of play of playmakers in this league or semi playmakers at the receiver position? What better route to go for Indianapolis than to go get a guy in DK Metcalf who's not even in his prime yet? DK Metcalf is still he's still learning how to be a full fledged wide receiver. And you and you couldn't you could you couldn't possibly pair him up with a better, more stable quarterback outside of obviously Patrick Mahomes and the Russell Wilsons and the Derek Carrs of the world. But you couldn't you couldn't pair you couldn't pair DK Metcalf up with a more stable, disciplined quarterback than Matt Ryan. So I'm not saying that DK Metcalf to the Indianapolis Colts is going to happen. But I'm just saying Indianapolis you need to make a move on DK Metcalf and you need to do it now because you're because with with the way the AFC is right now especially with the AFC West you need playmakers in the AFC if you're going to even think about competing for a championship and like I said before Indianapolis has that with their running game and they're just they're just missing another piece they're missing that now. I'm not saying if they get DK Metcalf that they're going to win the Super Bowl. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm but I am saying that if they do, if the Colts do trade for a DK Metcalf, that is going to make their offense so much better because now they have another weapon to go alongside Michael Pittman Jr. to help out and to kind of take a little bit of pressure off of him. So, just saying, Indianapolis, you got a chance to make that happen. DK Metcalf's contract situation in Seattle, not really going well. He's not showing up to mandatory minicamp. Hey, Indianapolis, here's a chance. Might want to make it happen. Next up, ladies and gentlemen, next up, I want to give you guys my top five NFL questions for the 2022 NFL season. And at the end of the NFL season, I'm going to come back and I'm going to answer all five of these NFL questions that I have. So let's get started. My number five NFL question for the 2022 season. Will Carson Wentz finally win his first playoff game as a starting quarterback in the NFL in 2022? A lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of people are probably wondering, Jared, why do you ask that question about Carson Wentz? Here's why I asked that question. Carson Wentz has been in the NFL for six years now, and he has yet to lead a team to a playoff victory. A lot of people will bring up the 2017-2018 season where he helped get the Philadelphia Eagles to the number one seed, but here's the thing. After that, he tore his ACL, okay? During the season, he tore his ACL, but yes, if it weren't for Carson Wentz, Nick Foles would have never led Philadelphia on that run to get to the Super Bowl and win it. But he didn't play and he he didn't play during that during that Super Bowl run that Philadelphia went on in 2017. He didn't play in that game. He didn't play in that playoff run. Then the following year what happened? Nick Foles led uh Nick Foles played in the playoffs again for Philadelphia. Carson Wentz did not play. Nick Foles led Philadelphia to a win over the Chicago Bears. And then after that, Philadelphia played the New Orleans Saints in the NFC Divisional Round. Philadelphia lost that game. 
and then you have and excuse me and then you have Philadelphia trading Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts and we all know what happened with Indianapolis it didn't work out with him in Indy he couldn't lead Indianapolis to a playoff win when he was in Indy now he's with the commanders now he has a chance to finally lead a team to a playoff win which he has yet to do in his career Carson Wentz is as talented as Carson Wentz is, and he is very, very talented. He's the fact that he still has yet to win a playoff game, and he's been in the league six years now, blows my mind. It it literally blows my mind. But to answer the question, do I do I believe that Carson Wentz will finally lead Indianapolis, or excuse me, finally lead the Washington Commanders to the play, to a playoff victory for the first time in his career? Will Carson Wentz lead the Washington Commanders to the playoffs? And will Carson Wentz win a playoff game for the first time in his career? I don't see that happening. I just I just don't see that happening. I don't trust him. I trust everybody else on Washington. I trust their defense. I trust their perimeter weapons. I trust their running game. I, I trust Ron Rivera. I just don't trust Carson Wentz. Next up, will the AFC... Uh, next up, question number four. Will the AFC West... Get all four teams into the playoffs in 2022. Yes, I think there's a very, very good possibility that that could happen because I don't see any way all four of these teams in the AFC West don't get don't get into the playoffs. Now, is there a possibility that all four teams in the AFC West don't get in, and maybe two of the four get in, or maybe even just one of the four get in, or three of the four get in? Yes, but at the end of the day. With this with this division, the AFC West being as stacked as it is, I just I just don't see a scenario where all four teams in the AFC West don't get in because like I said before, all four of these teams are just too damn talented not to get in. The only way all four of these teams don't get in is if you have teams like Tennessee, teams like Cincinnati, teams like Miami, who take who who take two to who take two of those three last wild card spots? That's the only way that all four of those teams don't get in. Then, if that happens, then only two of the four teams in the AFC West will get in. But to answer the question, will, will the AFC West get all four teams into the playoffs in 2022? Yes, I believe that will happen. Next up, can two? Uh, next up, question number three: Can Tua finally prove? that he can be Miami's franchise quarterback moving forward in 2022. As we all know, it's kind of been a bumpy ride for Tua Tagovailoa and Brian Flores, obviously Brian Flores was his, Brian Flores, excuse me, was his first head coach when he was drafted and we all saw how whenever Tua would struggle and things like that, Brian Flores would do what? He would yank Tua out of a game, put Ryan Fitzpatrick in, and it was almost like he was trying to teach Tua a lesson. And it was almost like Tua just could not make any mistakes because if he did, and not only if he made the mistakes, but if he made them on a consistent basis, what would end up happening? Brian Flores would pull him out, put Ryan Fitzpatrick in, and if, but if Ryan struggled, he would pull Ryan Fitzpatrick out and put Tua back in. So at the end of the day, now that Tua has a brand new head coach in Mike McDonald, and the Miami Dolphins and general manager Chris Greer has done have done everything in his power to put weapons around Tua. I believe now this will be Tua's 
final opportunity to prove that he can be the man for the Miami Dolphins moving forward. Do I think Tua finally proves that he's the man moving forward for Miami? I don't know. Does he have a chance to prove that? Absolutely. Are there no excuses for Tua this year? There are absolutely no excuses for him. This this is his chance. If he blows this, I honestly don't think he will ever... Well, I take that back. Not ever. I just think it'll be very difficult for him to get a starting quarterback job in the NFL moving forward if he's not able to prove that he's the guy, that he's the guy for the Miami Dolphins moving forward. Next up, question number two. Can the Buffalo Bills make it back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1994? As we all know, the Buffalo Bills drafted Josh Allen a few years ago, drafted him in 2018, and the Bills have gradually progressed each year that Josh Allen's been in the NFL. And over the last couple of years, Josh Allen went from being in the MVP conversation to now being one of the better young quarterbacks in the league. And over the last couple of seasons, Buffalo went from AFC Championship game against the Chiefs to AFC Divisional Round Playoff game against the Chiefs. And having and the Bills had one of the best games that you will see probably ever in the history of the playoffs. Now with the Buffalo Bills, they go and they get Vaughn Miller. And they just continue to add and add and add and add to that football team, which Buffalo is very, very talented. It's just a simple question of can Buffalo with Josh Allen finally get over the hump? And can they get to the Super Bowl? Can they finally get to the Super Bowl and can they win it? It's not a matter of how talented this Buffalo Bills roster is because this Buffalo Bills roster is talented. Obviously, Tredavious White is coming back from his torn ACL. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. And obviously, like I said before, they signed Vaughn Miller. For the Buffalo Bills, it's just this simple. Can the Buffalo Bills get past teams like Denver? Can they get past teams like the Chiefs who have beaten them multiple times? Can they can they can they knock off a of Baltimore one more time? Can they get past a team like the Cincinnati Bengals? Can they get past teams like the Raiders? It's not going to be the fact of is is Buffalo talented because we all know that. It's just going to simply come down to with how crowded this AFC is. Can Buffalo get past all of those all of those obstacles that are those other talented teams in the AFC? And can they get over the hump? And can they get to the Super Bowl? And can they win it? I already got Josh Allen winning NFL MVP. It is just a simple fact of can the Buffalo Bills get over the hump and get back to the Super Bowl for the first time since 1994? Do they have a chance to? Absolutely, they do. Will uh, Can they? They sure as hell can. Will they? I don't know because of how talented and just how stacked this AFC is. And lastly, the number one question that I have in my top five NFL questions for the 2022 season. My number one question. Can the Los Angeles Rams repeat as Super Bowl champions for the first time since the 2003-2004 New England Patriots? Bottom line is this for the Los Angeles Rams. And I said this last show. I said this last show about the Rams. You can bring back everybody that you want to bring back. But that does not guarantee that you're going to win the Super Bowl. Okay, the Bucks did this last year when they won the Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl, tried to bring everybody back. They didn't even make it to the conference championship game. 
This is just going to be a simple fact of can the can the Los Angeles Rams withstand everybody's best shot? Because every team that they play this season, it's going to be their Super Bowl. It's going to be the 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 opponent's Super Bowl against the Rams. And not only that, can the Rams stay healthy? If the Rams can stay healthy and they can withstand a lot of teams that they go up against best shot, then they have a legitimate chance to get back to the Super Bowl. And not only that, the NFC, the, uh, NFC is a lot weaker this year than it has been in years past. So bottom line is this. If the Rams can stay healthy, if they can continue to play well, Bleeding into this year, if they can pick up where they left off from last year to this year, if they can stay healthy, I think they really do have a legitimate chance to get to the Super Bowl and repeat for the first time since the 2003-2004 New England Patriots. But there's also a reason why that why a, why a repeat Super Bowl champion has not taken place since the 2003-2004 season. There's a reason for that. But the Rams definitely have a legitimate chance to do so. If they stay healthy and if they are able to not fall into a lull of going on a three or four game losing streak, but they definitely have a chance to. Coming up next, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It's going to be time for me to leave you with something to think about. Stay tuned. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. You know what time it is. It's time for me to leave you with something to think about. The year 2005. Why do I bring up the year 2005? Because that is the year that... The Pittsburgh Steelers with future Hall of Fame head coach Bill Cowher, future Hall of Fame running back Jerome Bettis, more than likely future Hall of Famer quarterback Ben Roethlisberger and the Pittsburgh Steelers knocked off the NFC champion Seattle Seahawks with Mike Holmgren, Matt Hasselbeck, and Sean Alexander 21-10 to to win their fifth Super Bowl championship in franchise history. And we all know how that game went. One of the big plays of the game was a wide receiver reverse pass from Antoine Randall of the Hines Ward, and that pretty much broke the game open. Pittsburgh ends up winning the game 21-10. to Bill Cowher wins his first and only championship. He walks away. Jerome Bennis retires in his hometown of Detroit as a first and only time Super Bowl champion in his career. But my question to you guys is this. What if the Seattle Seahawks had actually found a way to knock off Ben Roethlisberger, Jerome Bettis, and the Pittsburgh Steelers in Super Bowl Forty, What if Seattle would have actually found a way to defeat Pittsburgh in Super Bowl Forty? Does Bill Cowher take it upon himself to say, you know what, I'm going to come back for one more year. I'm going to give this one more year. Does Ben Roethlisberger try to talk Jerome Bettis into trying to come back for one more year because Let's not forget, in America's game, the 2005 Pittsburgh Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger, the year prior when Pittsburgh lost in the AFC Championship game to the Patriots, he had to convince Jerome Bennis to come back for one more year. So let's say Pittsburgh loses Super Bowl forty to Seattle. Does, Jerome, does Ben Roethlisberger try to talk Jerome into coming back again for one more year, or does Jerome say, you know what, no, I'm done. I tried. I just, I'm done. I tried to bring this city a championship just like my head coach Bill Cowher did. But I'm done. I'm done, Big Ben. And here's the other thing, too. Let's just say, for example, Jerome comes back. 
Bill Cowher comes back. There's no guarantee that they even make the playoffs because let's not forget the following year, they didn't even make the playoffs. They didn't even make the playoffs in 2006. And not only that, here's the other thing. If if Jerome comes back and if Bill Cowher does come back with Big Ben for the 2006 season, you have literally, you would have had a healthy Carson Palmer with the Cincinnati Bengals and you would have had Steve McNair with the Baltimore Ravens. So you would have had an uphill battle in your division as is, along with you trying to get back to the playoffs and get to the Super Bowl. And let's not forget, the team, one of the teams that they beat, the Steelers beat on the way to their Super Bowl run was the Indianapolis Colts. And Indy, when Indy ended up winning the Super Bowl the following year. So even if they make the playoffs, they probably would have had to play Indianapolis again in the playoffs the following year. But... Who knows, ladies and gentlemen, that's why, that's why this is what if, what if Seattle would have won Super Bowl 40? What if Seattle would have won that championship? Does Bill Cowher come back? Does Jerome Bettis come back for one more year? We'll never know. That's why this is what if. Thank you for tuning in, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the I'm Just Saying podcast. I'm your host, Jared Dawkins. Thank you all for listening. I hope all of you enjoy game six of the NBA Finals tonight, as I know I will. It is going to be a hell of a game. That Boston crowd is going to be nuts. I cannot wait for it. Am I hoping for a game seven? Maybe, but... I expect the Warriors to win this game tonight and to close this series out and to win their fourth NBA championship in eight years. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you all for listening. If you would like to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Instagram at quietsoul24, Q-U-I-E-T-S-O-U-L-24. And you can follow me on Facebook at Jared Dawkins, J-A-R-E-D, Dawkins, D-A-W-K-I-N-S. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for tuning in. I'm out. Peace.